Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Um, as you notice, Pastor Jim is not here today. He, he came to me last week and he goes, Matthew, I have to get ready for Revelation. And I said, okay, what do you need? He's like, I need to go sit in my coal car in the back of my house and just pray and read and study and get ready to preach the rest of the book of Revelation for the next three years. I don't know how long it's going to take him to get there. Right? So he said, can you, can you preach this weekend? I need to prepare. And I thought about that. I was like, all right, Pastor Jim is preparing to present Revelation to us as a church body. How are we preparing to receive it? Right? So this morning, I wanted to help us in preparation to hear Revelation, because if you come into it and you're not in the right place, the book of Revelation can be a scary, scary thing. There's like locusts with people faces and teeth that, you know, like bite your flesh, right? But that's not what Revelation is. Revelation is a book of victory. It's a book of hope. It's a book of triumph. And if we prepare our hearts to receive it in that manner, we're going to have a really nice rest of the three years. But if we don't, it's going to be a long, agonizing thing. So I wanted to talk about preparation this morning. Right? So many denominations recognize this time before Resurrection Sunday as Lent. Right? It's a time of fasting and prayer. It started this last Wednesday. They call it Ash Wednesday. And it's for 40 days and it culminates in the, the Easter celebration on Easter Sunday. Right? So this time is set aside for preparation. So we fast, we pray, we read scripture, we confess, and we repent. The 40 days are significant, and they correspond to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert before he was tested by Satan. But 40 pops up all over the Bible, so we know that the flood rained for 40 days. We know that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We also know that Moses prayed and fasted on the mountain for 40 days before he received the Ten Commandments. So 40 is everywhere. And I thought about this. I thought about this idea of preparation getting ourselves ready. But then I said, what are we really preparing for? What is it that we're getting ready for? Do we even know? The truth is, if we don't know what we're preparing for, there's no way that you can prepare earnestly or with a sense of urgency or any commitment, really. Right? Oh, I got time. It's not really going to happen. There's no due date. If we do not believe that what we are preparing for is actually going to happen, there's no commitment. You know, athletes, they train for competitions. They work really hard for months and months because they know that the event is coming up. They know that they are going to compete. They have to be ready. Others study and prepare to meet work deadlines. Others sacrifice and strive for project deadline completions, right? We put in long hours. We sacrifice our time with our families and our friends to meet that quarter goal, that end quarter goal, to meet these deadlines. When a hurricane's coming, you prepare by boarding up your... I'm from Florida. Hurricanes are windy things that come and like blow your houses down. So you have to get... You know when a hurricane's coming. You know it's going to hit. So you board up your house. You get gas. You get supplies. You get clean water. You get ready. We prepare for the things of the world. We work hard to prepare for the things of the world. We believe and we know that the things of the world are going to happen. We believe in the things of the world. We can touch it. We can see it. We know it's going to happen. But when it comes to our preparation for Christ Jesus, what's our drive? 
What's our motivation? Do we put as much effort into our fasting and our prayer and our confession and our repentance as we do to meet the deadlines of the world? Let's just talk honest this morning, okay? Right? Let's be honest. Let's get real. April 17th is Easter Sunday. And a a guy got mad that I said Easter in the same sentence as the resurrection. But hear me. I'm not glorifying some deity, God, some idol. It's just a word. It's what they call it. Resurrection Sunday, Passover. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm just using words. My God is bigger than any false God. But Jesus isn't going to raise from the dead on April 17th this year. He's already risen. He already lives and reigns. Hallelujah. So what am I really preparing for? April 17th is just a day that somebody chose on the calendar and be like, okay, we're going to do it on this day. Right? So what am I really preparing for? Just a day on the calendar. I'm missing the mark. I'm not in preparation for my bodily resurrection to join him in the new heaven and the new earth to live forever with him. I'm just, oh, April 17th. Got a can't eat meat on Friday till then. Right? Like, <sighs> but this season, these 40 days of preparation, it's an opportunity. Now, it's an option for our culture. Right? It's an option to prepare to grow closer in relationship with God. How could that be an option? Our present day attitudes towards our relationship with God do not reflect the necessity, the urgency, and the ultimate dependency on a growing relationship with Jesus. Easter will come and go this year. Eh, if I grow closer to Christ, no big deal. If not, I'll just try again next year. Right? We got plenty of time. See, we're preparing for a date on the calendar, not the truth of Christ's imminent return and our eternal salvation existence. Christ could come back tonight. Christ could come back right now. Christ could come back tomorrow. We don't know. And because we don't know, we think we have all the time in the world to pray and to fast and to confess and to repent and to get our hearts right. But the time is upon us now. We are out of time. The time is right now. So what are we preparing for? Not Resurrection Sunday. We're preparing for the kingdom building work that is happening all around us right now. That is taking place as we speak. We're preparing for the great revival that we're believing in. That's already happening. We're preparing to do the hard things required by God for his good and perfect will. I believe the time of our preparation is over and the time to act is now. And if you're sitting there and going, I'm not ready, we got to, come on, we got to turn it up. Pastor Jim just finished teaching on the seven churches of Revelation where Christ corrected the behaviors of his church. And I think about that. Do you think the churches, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he had just, it wasn't long after Jesus' death and resurrection that he's giving this revelation to John. And John presents it to the churches. Do you think the seven churches were like, ah, we'll think about it. Jesus is like, you're doing this good, but you got to work on this. And you're, you're okay here, but you got to work on this. And you guys, though, you need a whole revamp over here. And do you think they took that information and went, well, maybe next year. We'll put it on the counter. No, <laughs> no. 
The king of the universe said, fix this, do this, work on this, be this. He commanded them, and I'm sure that they jumped on it. They heeded the instruction and correction of the king. Are we doing the things that Jesus has taught us to do? Are you doing the things Jesus has taught you to do? Are you just reading your Bible? Are you, oh, it's good. I feel better. It's feeling kind of low. I get in scripture. It's good. I don't really have to follow it. It just makes me feel better. So whenever I preach, I spend the week in prayer and I try to listen to people. I talk to as many people as I can because I want to talk about the current state of our church family. I want to be relevant to what's going on. And it's funny because it happens in seasons, right? It's so, it's amazing to me that everybody's going through the same thing at the same time, right? And I don't prod them. They come to me and they say, Pastor Matthew, this is what's going on. And then another person, this is what's going on. I'm like, oh, I'm seeing a pattern. Maybe we should talk about this on Sunday, Right? The prevailing theme that has been brought up over and over again these past through few weeks is that people, they want to know God deeper. They want a deeper relationship, a more intimate relationship with God. They want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit, and they want to feel Jesus walking with them side by side every day. That's what people are saying. Most everyone I've talked to recently has offered up this information. They say, I want a closer relationship with God. And then what do they say? But everybody, every one of them, I want to be closer to God. But they all said, but they said, something is keeping me from it. Something is blocking me. I asked them, I said, what is it? What's keeping you from it? Let's pray about it. And you know what they said? They said, I don't know. I don't know what's keeping me. I want it. I'm desiring it. I'm asking for it. But there's something blocking me. I asked them, are you praying? They said, yeah, yeah, I'm praying every day. I said, are you reading your Bible? Are you getting in the word? Yes, I have my Bible studies and I read, I read the scripture every morning. I said, well, how's everything else going? Work, stress, family, how are you? What can I pray for you about? And they said, me, me? No, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. And I went, hmm. I was perplexed. It seemed as if they were preparing and working on their relationship with God through prayer and Bible study. But there, but there was something missing. What was missing? They were fine, right? Everybody's always fine. Everybody's good. But something that they could not identify was holding them back from a deeper relationship. I thought about Jesus and his relationship with the Father. Jesus has the deepest connection with the Father. He does nothing outside the will of the Father. He trusts the Father completely. And it's his example that we are Im to imitate and follow in order to grow in our relationship with God. You see, Jesus was fully man. And he had this amazing relationship with the Father. And what does that tell me? It tells me that I can have that same thing. If I do the things that Jesus did, if I follow the way Jesus taught, He's teaching me how to be in relationship with him. So let's go back to the beginning, right? I wanted to prepare. So I went back to the start, to Jesus' baptism right before he started his ministry. How did he prepare for what the Father was asking him to do? Not only for his ministry, but also to faithfully fulfill the will of the Father, even to death on the cross. How did he do that as a man? What was it that Jesus did in preparation that strengthened him for the ministry? to resist Satan and temptation, and to be completely obedient to the Father. 
So let's go there now. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And let's just see. What did Jesus do? He knows the ministry coming for him. He knows what he's going to have to do. How does he prepare? How does he prepare? So during this time, John the Baptist is declaring, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he is baptizing with water for repentance. One day he sees Jesus walking along the Jordan River. He declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And starting in verse 13, we see that Jesus has traveled to John to be baptized by him. But in verse 14, we see John tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And you come to me? Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented, and Jesus was baptized. And as soon as he came up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened up. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let's keep going in chapter 14. Jesus was then led by the Spirit immediately into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think that's an understatement. The tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So right here, we already see, what is he doing for preparation? Fasting. He knows scripture. He's relying on the word of God for his truth, for his nourishment. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Of course God would have saved him. God loves him. But we're not to force the hand of God. We're not to force his love. We're to trust it and accept it. Right? So we see fasting, scripture, trust in the Lord. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Everything. He said, Jesus, I'll give all of this to you. Everything, your heart's desire. If you bow down and worship me, Jesus said, and I love this, he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and angels came and attended to him. When Jesus has heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you so much for your example. Thank you for the solution. Help us. Help us to live it out. Help us to understand that when we live this way, when we live for you, that's the way we were made. That's the blueprint. That's the instruction book. 
Help us to operate at the highest capacity level for your kingdom by doing the things required to live a life devoted to you and the will of the Father. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this message. Amen. So how is it that Jesus prepared for the Father? We just went through it. And how was he able to resist temptation when he was tested? At his weakest and most vulnerable, tempted in every way that we will ever be tested. Right? Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Fully man, tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. Again, that, that means we could do it. Like, I, I hesitate saying it because it seems so impossible to me. Me. Like, I'm the chiefest of sinners. But we can do it. We can live a life free of sin. But how? How? And is it really that sin that's keeping us from that full relationship? So he is without sin. He passed the test by relying on the word, by relying on the truth of God. He leaned into his relationship with the Father, and he trusted God. We see the lesson here is that spiritual nourishment, the spiritual nourishment of God, far exceeds any physical demand of the flesh. Hear that again. The spiritual nourishment of God supersedes any demand of the flesh. The spirit needs nourishment. The flesh can go without. This is pretty straightforward, right? Prayer, Bible study, dependence on God. We're doing these things, right? We fast. We read the word. Notice I didn't say we do these things in order to be saved, right? Salvation comes through Christ alone in our profession of faith. We do these things in order to grow a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Christ Jesus. That, are, that is what these tools are for to grow in our relationship with God. And then they say, but Pastor Matthew, I do all these things daily, earnestly, intentionally, faithfully, but there's still something blocking me, right? I want that fuller connection. I'm doing all the things that you just said to do. Something is preventing me from coming into the fullness of my identity as a child of God. There is a wall between his power, the spirit, and my heart. So we must have missed something then, right? We had to have missed something, and we did. We missed a very important thing, a very important thing that Jesus not only did himself, but taught to do, not to be saved, but in order to smash that something inside me wall that's preventing you from a deeper relationship with him. And many people miss it. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to find commentaries that speak to it. They glance over it because it's a hard topic. It's not something that's fun to talk about. It's not something that's easy to do. But it started and ended this section of scripture in which we read. I just read it to you, like bookends. And we missed it. Did anyone catch it? John starts, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus ends and starts his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus repented, he fasted, he knew scripture inside out, and he repented, he repented, right? He didn't come out and go, hey, I'm the son of God, listen to everything I said. The first thing in his ministry the, on which he builds the entire teaching of the kingdom of God and who he is, he starts with one word, repent, and we miss it. We try to skip it. 
So what does it mean to repent? In the Old Testament, it's understood as turning away. In this case, it's turning away from sin. In the New Testament, the Greek has a little more nuance. It's called metanoia, which is a turning of your mind. All right? So if we turn away from sin and then we have a turning of our mind, what are we turning towards? It's not just stopping the sin, but we have to turn towards God. Turn our minds to doing the will of the Father. To dedicating ourselves or rededicating our life to live for God. True repentance says this. It says, I no longer live for this fleshly desire, but for your spiritual nourishment, Lord. It is not enough to just stop the sinful behavior, but you must also then turn to do the will of God. I know lots of good people. I do. I know people who don't sin. They don't do bad things, right? They're not sinning, but they're not going after God. They're not seeking the will of God. And I would say that they are unrepentant. And they look at me and go, what do you mean? I don't do anything wrong. I'm like, but you're not... Repenting is more than just stopping. It's doing. It's a stopping and a replacement with God's will for your life. Jesus modeled this act of repentance through his baptism. Stay with me. I know this this was hard. And he commanded it at the beginning of his ministry and all throughout his ministry. Repent, repent, repent. In fact, one could argue that this is the foundation of most of his teachings. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, he's saying repent because I'm here. I'm here now. It's time to get right. It's time to do the will of God. It's time to stop going after the things that you desire, the things of this world. It's time to come after me. So many of us skip this command. Jesus forgives. So when I mess up, it's not really that big a deal. Over and over again, Jesus forgives. And it's true. That's very true. But if you want a deep spiritual connection with God through this life, You must stop the habitual sins of the flesh and seek his will. You must repent. You can be saved and spend the rest of your life in agony, in fear, in anxiety, in guilt, in shame. You can, and you're still saved. But if you want to live a rich life in Christ Jesus, you want to spend the remainder of your time being useful and building kingdom and walking in peace and love and and fearless, you have to do these things. You have to repent. So Jesus was completely sinless. Hear that? In no way had he ever sinned. Jesus had nothing to repent for. And yet he received the baptism of repentance from John to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus humbled himself and repented. He had nothing to repent for. But I believe his repentance was genuine. It was authentic. It, would have, it wasn't just for show. He humbled himself and repented. If Christ Jesus, perfect and sinless, had to repent, how much more are we in need of it? There are many proposed explanations and theories as to why Jesus would repent. There's too much to hash out this morning, trust me. Right? But the main lesson here is that Jesus submitted to John's baptism of repentance as a model for us. Right? For us, for his people to model God's will for his people and to confirm John's preaching that those who follow the Messiah must repent from their sin and turn their lives over to the will of God. He was saying, John, I stamp this. I affirm this. You are teaching, right? Repentance is the right thing to do if you're going to be my follower. And I'm going to do it too so that they follow. How are you doing with prayer? Great. How are you doing with your Bible reading? Oh, amazing. Yeah? How are you doing with fasting? Are you fasting? Yup. I haven't eaten in 10 years. 
Awesome. Are you making time to spend with God? I sure am. Are you repenting? What? What? Repenting? Yeah, are you repenting? Oh, you know, I'm not Catholic. So is that a thing that we, yeah. Maybe that's the wall. Maybe that's the thing we missed. Maybe that's the thing holding you back from a deeper trust in the Lord, from a more meaningful relationship. How many of us practice the act of repentance truly? I did it once when I was little. If not, are we missing a vital discipline for walking out our Christian faith by skipping it? Are we fully preparing to the best of our ability for the work he has planned for each and every one of us? He has amazing plans for you. He has work for you to do, right? And you have to be operating at the highest level to fulfill what he needs. And we can only do that by following his commands, following the blueprints, the handbook. And part of that is repentance. Are you expecting his second coming at any moment? So how do we repent? And what are the things that keep us from repenting? So I thought of just kind of four things. Confession, support, trust, and faith. Those are the things we need for true repentance. Confession and repentance, they go hand in hand. If we do not confess or admit our sin, then what is there to repent from? Right? If we keep it hidden, why repent? James chapter 5 says that if you're in trouble, if you are sick, if you are happy, then share that with other people. Pray, ask for help, ask for prayer, seek the counsel of the elders, seek the counsel of the church, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, and you will be healed. Are you sick? I'm not sick. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're sick. Are you in trouble? No, I'm not in trouble. Yeah, yeah, you are. We're all in trouble. Are you happy? Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. I'm happy. Great. That's an easy one to admit. We can admit when we're happy. Most times it's easier to pretend we're doing great than to admit that we're struggling. We don't want to confess our faults or our fears or our sins to each other. Why? We don't want to be judged. We don't want people to know that we don't have it all together. We don't want people to gossip. This is a small valley, too. So we hold it in. We seal it off. And Satan laughs. He laughs. He says, don't let anyone see that you're hurting and you're struggling. Don't share that. Don't confess that to your friends. Why? Because they'll pray for you. And James says, you'll be healed. You'll find healing. So he goes, don't do it. You're the only one with this problem. If you share it, you're going to lose your job. You'll never get a job. You'll never have friends. Keep it inside. Hide it. Because he doesn't want you to be healed. He doesn't want you to share and confess. But what does this world say? Put on a front. Don't show anyone that you need anything. And do it for yourself. And who's in charge of this world? But Jesus gives us the solution to this festering of guilt. It festers. It's like a cancer inside. He gives us a solution to the walls that we're keeping up. So when I say, what's, what's keeping you from a deeper relationship in God? And they go, I don't know. My wife always says, she's a counselor. She goes, what would you know if you didn't know what you knew? Right? And, I, and she does it to me all the time. But she's right. She's like, 
You know. You know. Search your heart a little bit. Humble yourself. Put that pride aside. Ask yourself, what is it? It's that thing that keeps you up at night. It's that thing that you worry about. We have to humble ourselves. We have to admit that we are sick or tired or scared or in trouble. Only then can we be healed when we admit it. We have to first confess it to God, right? And instantly I go to that place. I say, well, if God knows everything, why do I have to confess it to him, right? But hear this. It's not for his benefit. It's not for his benefit. It's for ours. Jesus came not to save the righteous, but the sick. When we confess to God, we recognize and we admit our need for a savior. We say, I need saving. And then guess what? Jesus saves you. But you have to call out for him. You have to reach out for him. He knows you need to be saved. That's easy. When we confess to God, we recognize and admit our need for saving. It is that understanding that changes the life of a sinner. When you admit that you're sick and need saving, it breaks down that pride. It steps you into that understanding. If you're drowning in Blue Lake, right, and you're playing it off as just swimming weird, no one's going to throw you a life raft. No one's going to paddle out to you. I'm good. I'm good, right? Yeah, I'm drowning. Help me. If we don't know, how can we help you? Confessing to God also builds the relationship you are so desperately seeking. My mom knows everything before I call her, right? So why call my mom? Because she wants to hear from me. She loves me. She likes hearing from me. It's the same with God. He knows everything, but he wants to hear from you. He wants a relationship with you. How are those relationships working where you never talk to the person, you never call them, never ask them how they're doing, right? You never share your struggles with them. That's no relationship. When you confess to God, other things, other good things happen too. You see, when a sin or a secret is rattling around inside of us, it begins to fester and grow. What started out as just a little tiny something grows, keeps us up at night. It plagues not only our nights, but our relationships, right? Our emotions, our attitudes, our behaviors. Whether you like it or not, this unrepentant sin that's growing inside of you affects your life in subconscious ways that you'll never understand. That's why when I ask people, well, what do you need prayer for? They go, I don't know, because they're so consumed by this. It's grown into something that they can't even put language to. But when we confess it, when we say it out loud to God, between me and God, it becomes tangible, and God can remove it from me. He can take it from me, right? I have to confess it and put it out there and ask him to remove it. God's a gentleman. He's not going to just come in and rip it out of me. He didn't go into the church of Laodicea. He didn't go into Philadelphia. He said, John, go tell them I need them to do this. I'm asking them to do this. John didn't say, well, can't you just do it, Lord? You don't talk to God like that. I love that song, New Wine, right? It's been playing a lot in our church at worship night. It says this, in the soil, he's breaking new ground. The soil of our hearts. And this is what's so amazing to me is that God made the soil of our hearts, right? God made the soil of our hearts. It's his to own, and yet he hands over the deed to us. He says, here you go. He goes, I'd like to build something in there. I'd like to do something with this land, but I need you to sign the deed back over to me. Right? He just doesn't come in. And then what does breaking ground sound like? 
oh, super easy and soft process, right? No, he gets out a pick hammer or like one of those jackhammers for my soil and he starts going to work, right? Breaking new ground, building within you and it's painful and it's hard. But when you do it with him, it's so rewarding. It's the only place you'll want to be. It's that initial signing over the deed back to him. And that's what it is with confession. We're so scared. We're so nervous. We have all these worries. We have all these fears about confessing. And yet when it happens, we're free. So we confess to God and we begin the work of repentance. Hear that? The work of repentance. I believe it's an ongoing thing. But then we find ourselves returning to that same pattern of compulsive behavior, committing that same sin over and over again. It's okay, we tell ourselves. Jesus forgives 70 times seven. I got, I'm good. But the sleepless nights and the guilt and the shame inevitably, they flood back into your life as you approach the 490th time of forgiveness. You see, seven times 70 is, is 490. Why are you convicted right now? Why are you feeling like this right now? You're convicted because you have been set apart, each and every one of you here today. You've been set apart to live like Christ, walking in the light. But many of us are trapped in this cycle of sin. We're trapped in this cycle, this superficial repentance and this secret shame. We plead, God, please remove this from my life. I want to be closer to you. Why can't I stop? Why won't you help me? Why won't you take this from me? I know that this sin in my life is what's causing the separation between you and I, and I cannot stop. Please, Lord, take this from me, we plead. And we can't stop. Not alone. That's why we have the body of Christ, the church, because we need support. So we first confess it to ourselves. We say there's something, and people do that. It's easy. There's something keeping me from a full relationship with God. I, I acknowledge that in myself. Then we go to God. We go, God, this is keeping me from you. I need your help taking it from me. But we have to go a step fur- further. We want to be off the hook, right? We don't want anyone else to know. We want to work it out between me and God before anyone else finds out, right? I'm really bad addicted to alcohol, and I think my boss is going to find out. So, God, if we could clear this up before anyone finds out, that would be really awesome. And nobody knows that I struggle with anything, right? Whatever it is. I've been embezzling. I've got to fix the books before. And I, that's nobody in here. You guys are all, like, guilty of what? Stealing grapes from City Market, right? So <laughs> I know that's not us, but that's fine. No one will know as long as God and I can work it out before I get caught. No one will know that I am struggling. Isn't that the greatest fear? to be found out that you're not perfect, that you're struggling. But what does the book of James say? It says counterintuitive to everything that our flesh and the world tells us. It says confess your sins to one another. Admit when you are sick. Reach out when you are in trouble and pray for each other. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and you will be healed. If you are sitting here today, you are a righteous person. Your prayers are powerful, not because of anything that you've done, but because of the cross, because of Christ, because of the blood, because of his sacrifice and his death and resurrection. You are righteous. You have powerful prayers. You can heal through your prayers. Christ Jesus through you and the spirit through you through your prayers. Right? But it's a partnership. It's a relationship. So when we don't confess, why wouldn't I go to James and be like, hey, pray for me, righteous man, and help me be healed? 
Satan goes, don't tell James. Don't tell him. He's going to judge you. And Jesus is going, tell him you'll be healed. We can pray for you. We can heal you. We can take this from you. So let's talk about this. This is hard. This is hard because in our culture, you don't want, you don't want to admit that you need help or that you're struggling. We all want to save face and show others that everything is fine. I'm fine. I would say freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Fine. <laughs> fine. The youth hate when I tell them that. But there's, there's a lot of positive things that come out of our confession when we confess to one another. First off is the obvious one. We can then pray about it. Right? I ask people all the time, how can I pray for you? They either say, no, nah, I'm good, or they say, uh, my sister's cousin's neighbor's friend's uh, brother is, is in the hospital. He was in a car accident. Can you pray for him? And I go, yeah, of course. What's his name? Oh, I don't know. And I, I go, well, what about you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need prayer. How can I pray for you if, I, if you don't let me know what you need prayer for? If we don't humble ourselves and confess. What else happens? A great thing. We realize that we're not alone in our sin. Right? Satan wants you to think that you're the only terrible person in the entire world and that everybody else is doing a great job and they don't struggle with anything. Lies. When we share our weakness with each other, that's our testimony. And God is glorified through the strengthening of us. I was like this and I didn't know what I was going to do and I took it to God and now I'm like this and now I'm struggling with this other thing and I'm telling you because I'm anticipating and praying and faithfully hoping that God is going to change this too. And when I'm fixed, when I'm better, when I'm healed, I'm going to say glory to God. And then that person goes, man, I'm struggling with that too. I thought I was the only one. And this chain pattern of humility and healing and forgiveness and community grows and Satan goes, oh, dang it, they found out the solution. It was right here the whole time. Admitting our faults to one another helps us to realize that no one has it all together perfectly. We all struggle. We all need saving and healing and prayer. But if you have the courage and you trust in the Lord to put yourself out there, you not only help yourself, but you help others that are struggling in that secret sin, that festering sin. And we are then set free from the lies, free from the isolation and the loneliness. We realize that there's other people that are going through the same thing. And that's an amazing thing. That's a beautiful thing. Our secret sin not only separates us from a deeper relationship with God, but from one another, from our spouses, from our children, from our community, from our church, from our parents, and so on. They say the truth will set you free, and it's not just a famous quote. It's a biblical principle. Repent. Confessing our sins to one another also holds us accountable. Remember that returning to the same sin that I can't get over? I've confessed it to you, God. It's just you and me. Let's fix this. Okay, what do I say? Oh, Jesus will forgive me. I'll just go out and do it come back, ask for forgiveness, I'm good. But when I let other people know that I'm struggling with something, now I have accountability. Now I have people praying for me. Now I have people hoping for me, right? When we reveal those hidden sinful sins, the ones we can't seem to overcome, we, we establish an accountability system. People who we can call when we're weak or tempted Perhaps they read you a scripture verse or they say, come on, let's go out to lunch, right? Or they pray for you over the, over the phone, whatever it is. 
Maybe they just listen to you and that's enough to do it. They say that like temptation lasts three seconds. And if you can get out of that three second window without holding onto it and fixating it, you're through it, right? But how, that three seconds can seem like the longest time in the world when we're being tempted. Are you taking advantage of confession? Are you truly taking advantage of this gift? Do you have a trusted someone or a group of someones to confess to you? Are you humble enough to admit that you truly need a savior? Are you finding the healing found in the prayers of your brothers and sisters on your behalf? True repentance can only come from complete confession. So why don't we confess? Why don't we confess? I've already said, you know why. We don't want to be judged. We're worried that we can't trust people not to spread gossip all over the valley. Perhaps you feel like an issue has been resolved in yourself. And this is one I hear a lot. Like, that's already been put to bed between me and God. I don't want to go digging up past things because it'll be hurtful. It'll be painful. And then they go, but there's something keeping me from the Lord. And I go, we might have to do some digging. Right? But we're going to trust in the Lord in the process. And we're going to surround you. And we're going to walk through it with you. And we're going to encourage you. And God's going to remove this from you once we uncover it. I know it hurts to go back and look at past trauma. I know it's painful to dig up things that you think are to bed, but sometimes it's a necessary thing to move forward in your relationship with God. Whatever it is that's keeping you from confessing, I want you to remember the promise of healing. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, says, if you confess to one another, you will be healed. Remember that promise. Remember the example set by Jesus. Remember the command. If that's not enough, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The time is now. There's no competition coming up. There's no job deadline. There's no goal. It's here right now. If you have something on, if you have some unrepented sin festering inside of your heart, I want you to confess it. I want you to repent. I want you to do it today. I don't want you to leave with this. You have the solution. Why wouldn't you take advantage of this? After this, I'm going to call the elders up, right? I'm going to call them up here, and I'll be out here after service too. And trust me, I'm the chiefest of sinners. You are not going to shock me. You're not going to shock our elders, all right? And we're not going to judge. We're not going to try to fix you. We're not going to gossip. We're going to listen. We're going to give you a safe space to confess, and then we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to continue to pray for you. Come on, church. Are we just going to read the Bible and ignore? Are we going to start living out what the Word says? Do not leave here today with an unrepented heart. Take this opportunity, this mandatory opportunity. The kingdom of God is nearer now more than ever, and time is up. Once we confess, we must then repent. Why? The Bible says to do it. Done. How long are we going to read the commands of our Lord and ignore him? How long are we going to suffer in our hearts when the solution has been given to us? It's not easy. I know. I know. Trust me. I know. But we're not alone. Are we doing this thing or are we a lukewarm church? Are we listening to the commands? I don't want to be a lukewarm church spit out of the mouth of God. I want to be on fire. I want to be that golden army that Pastor Jim talked about last week. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm solidified. That's why I'm staying. I want to be in the golden army of on-fire disciples, living it out, going after the kingdom, 
Is there anyone else in here that wants to be in that army? The golden army. Confess and repent. And get ready. I want to be a faithful church. I want to be going after it, walking it out. I want to be doing the hard things for God. I want to carry my cross. Jesus forgives so we don't really have to do the stuff the Bible says. Wrong. Are we preparing to be the church that brings light to this dark valley? Are we willing to do what is required? Confession and repentance does not save us, but it is the formula for a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Christ. A life turned to him, our Lord and our Savior. Don't wait another moment. Jesus is literally knocking at the door. We will never get it perfect. You'll never get it perfect. But it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about the trying. It's about the seeking. It's in the seeking and the journey that we are walking and in relationship with him. If there was a destination, it'd be like us. Peace out, Jesus. I'll see you. No, we're continual. We repent, we repent, we walk with him, we talk with one another, we confess, we pray for one another, and then we're doing it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Make today the turning point in your relationship with Christ Jesus. Invite him to search your heart and to reveal any areas that are displeasing to him, any secret sin. And today, today, Confess and repent. And let's move forward together. Let's heal and on fire. Amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of confession, for the opportunity to repent. Lord, we're sorry for skipping over, you know, hitting prayer and Bible study and and worship and, and praise and fasting. We got those check boxes. Help us when it comes to our repentance. Help us to see the value in confession. Help us to grow in relationship with you. I just pray an anointing over each and every one of the people in here. I just thank you for them. Thank you that you have called them to this community, to this congregation, to this family. And I'm believing and I know that you have big things for this church, Lord Jesus. We pray for knowledge of that will and we pray for the power to carry that out. You are so good, God, and we love you. If there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I want you to think about it. I want you to take this moment and just ask the Holy Spirit, what's going on inside my heart? You've already been set apart just by being here. He's already calling you. Let go of that deed to the soil of your heart. Give it to him. Give it over to him. Is there anyone here this morning that needs to give the deed over to their heart to profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Just raise your hand. See you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Our sisters raise their hands, so let us all confirm our faith in Lord Jesus as we preach. Lord Jesus, I declare you Lord of my life. I give you my heart. I will live for you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are God. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And you live and reign forever and ever. Help me, Lord, to stay dedicated to you. To repent. To confess. And to live for your nourishment. Denying the desires of the flesh. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Do you want to come forward? Stretch your hands out as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the work that you are doing, the spirit inside, the driving force. Thank you for this profession of faith. Thank you for this courage in coming forward. Help us, Lord, to support and encourage and pray and surround and walk with. Help us as we, as we do the hard things for your goodwill and purpose. Anoint our sister. Bless her. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The elders will be up here if you need prayer, if you need to confess. Do it. Don't leave with it. I know it's scary. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.